Hey everybody, it's Scott. Before we get started, I want to first wish you a very happy holidays. No matter what you celebrate, I hope you're celebrating it with family and friends and having a wonderful end of the year as we move headlong into 2023. I gotta tell you, we started this thing late summer of this year and it's still amazing that you have all joined with us on this wonderful experience and we are so thankful for you as this year wraps up and we cannot wait to continue to do this in 2023 and beyond which is another thing i wanted to talk about before we get started and that is late last night as i'm editing this show it got announced in a couple of the paper trades that babylon 5 will be leaving hbo max on january 25th this has not been officially announced by hbo max but it looks like it's happening so just so you all know, we are not going anywhere. Yes, having Babylon 5 readily available to so many people on streaming has been so helpful in getting a new group of folks to enjoy this show, but we are going to continue on whether it is on streaming or not. I think what's probably going to happen is shortly after it leaves HBO Max, be it a few weeks or a few months, it will find its way to another streamer. Until then, we're going to continue on as normal all of our newbies have copies of either digital or dvd same with our first ones and so we're gonna keep rolling so what i would recommend to you is if you can and i know that's the holiday season so i'm asking a lot go to either youtube voodoo amazon apple and purchase Babylon 5, the full series. I think right now, I just looked, Voodoo and, uh, and Apple have it both, the entire series, for 40 bucks. That way, no matter what HBO Warner Brothers does, you can continue to go along with us on this ride. Or, if you're like me, you can dust off your DVDs from 20 years ago and continue on as well, too. So again, I know this is an interesting point, especially as we move into the 30th anniversary of Babylon 5. It's not news that we wanted to hear but we're going to move on and we're going to keep doing it. And I will tell you one other thing, too. I am working with the League of Non-Aligned Podcasts to do some fun stuff as we move into the 30th anniversary. And now that we've got another mission in terms of dealing with Babylon 5 not being readily available to the masses, we've got a mission here. And as uh, our friends over at the Gray Sector Podcast just said, Babylon Avengers time to roll so i think you're going to hear more about that a little bit from now but again thank you so much happy holidays happy and wonderful new year and let's start season two status report lieutenant commander susan ivanova recording it is now eight days since the death of earth alliance president luis santiago and five days since commander sinclair was recalled to earth without explanation and the whole place has gone straight to hell. And as far as I'm concerned, the transports can wait until the sun explodes. And if you're not happy with the seating arrangements, I will personally order your seats to be moved outside, down the hall, across the station, and into the fusion reactor. Am I absolutely, perfectly clear on this? I can only conclude that I'm paying off karma at a vastly accelerated rate. On the next 
Babylon 5. I'm authorized to surrender command of Babylon 5 to you. It is an obscenity. They still call you Starkiller. Times change. Get up. Activate defense grid. On the next Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. out there podcast land welcome to gray 17 a babylon 5 podcast a part of the front row network and npr illinois community voices we are a group of newbies and first ones who have either watched uh, all of babylon 5 from beginning to end or have just started watching and just finished season one and we are here to talk about the first episode of season two which is points of departure i'm scott and with me as always is emily Jesse, John, Justin, Nicole, Andrew, Evan, and Mike. And Blake is somewhere lost in Oregon at the moment. So if he finds his way home like a little lost puppy, he may join us later on. So we are here, as I mentioned, to talk about the first episode of season two, which is Points of Departure, uh, which (laughs) has a lot of different meanings depending on where you come at this episode. Before we get started, though, a couple minutes of housekeeping. We really appreciate those of you who are leaving us Apple uh, reviews as well as your reviews in Amazon Audible or Spotify or whatever. And then also be sure if you're watching on YouTube to hit the like, subscribe, and notify button as we were doing more and more live stuff on YouTube. Last week, you hopefully caught our season one recap. We'll continue to do those as we move forward. If you can go one step further, we do have our Patreon at patreon.com slash gray17podcast where you can be a part of the discussion with our Discord. Uh, we are placing behind the scenes um, notes and uh, Q and A's and ask me anything's on there as well. And if you can go all the way, we do have our producers who are providing $20 a month to help support this podcast and their names are listed in the show notes below. Thank you again to all our producers. Finally, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All the links are down below, and we have conversations going in all of those. I just wanted to uh, send a shout out to our podcast team who have three of 11 of us have had a birthday in the last week. Um, Andrew, Nicole, let's see, Andrew on the 20th, Nicole yesterday, and Emily today. So I just yeah. wanted to say happy birthday to you fine folks. Yay. Uh, have one. Yeah, there's Thank 10 you. of us. But some days, is it, you know, well, he has a mouse in her pocket. It says hello. Sometimes, sometimes John counts as two people. <laughs> Seventeen. There is, there is ten. Is there? Okay. Little rage monster fun. might be the extra someday. <laughs> <laughs> My other personality count. Let's go ahead and get into the discussion on points of departure and i believe john you have a synopsis for us i do and here comes my synopsis voice for points of departure captain john sheridan takes command of babylon 5 after sinclair is reassigned a rogue minbari warship is on the loose and the truth behind the end of the minbari war is revealed points of departure and scene (laughs) that's very exciting 
I didn't get a 10 for good buddy, so I was just going to let it go. Okay. It's not Andrew. Read Sorry. that off of the description of the actual episode. <laughs> so, that sounded very judgmental, Jesse. His, his dog ate his homework. The whole, what am I going to give away, like, scene by scene of the episode, and then we're going to talk about scene by scene of the episode? They said a synopsis. Jesus. I liked it. Thank you, Mike. Good too. job, John. <laughs> Okay, let's go into first impressions on Points of Departure, and uh, let's go over to Emily first. First impressions. Okay, my first impression when they showed the new Sinclair that looks like they ordered him off Wish, I don't know. I was just like, who the fuck is he? And I'm like, oh, I know who he's going to be, because he's like a knockoff Sinclair. Not a fan yet, but I'll leave that open. There was a lot going on in this. There was a lot. I feel like I have a lot more questions than I do thoughts. But one of the biggest things was, even though it's a really minor point in the entire episode, how was no one on duty at night? How was the command center just no one's there? Like something happened. Doesn't matter. No one's on duty. Like what the hell was that? That was just, yeah. might have reacted a little too strongly to that but yeah so we basically have Sinclair from Wish and then um somehow they just have a command center when they're on duty this seems entirely irresponsible and bad planning I will talk about the transition of this character in a bit so we'll get through all first impressions first but I want it noted right now that the exact same thing happened when Ivanova showed up not from Emily (laughs) Okay, not from Emily that time. But now I want to see who's going to feel this with our good buddy John Sheridan. And then I want to just rub your all faces in it in about six weeks when you're like, oh, I love freaking Sheridan. He's awesome. He's great. Like, I'm open to changing my mind, but the Sheridan Sinclair, they're, I don't know. It just, it seems like a knockoff right now. Would you like to have an answer to your, uh, did the ship just shut down? Because that question was asked in 1994 and I have an answer. Yes, I need an answer. Okay, so it was asked in the Usenets back in the day, and JMS, because he does respond to everybody, (laughs) did respond. Here we go. Well, my thought at the time, and I probably should have put this into dialogue in retrospect, was there's a window about every 36 hours when the entire CNC system goes through a self-maintenance for about a half an hour, backing things up, doing self-repair, filling logs with Earth Central and sort uh, and sort of thing. They normally pick a slow period in the docking and any other routine stuff is handled through the backup CNC on the other side of the station access. You can see it directly above the docking bay when the normal CNC is directly below it. See, at first I considered putting uh, that in Ivanova's mouth when she says of all the times he could have picked, but then the reveal of where he was and how and what he was doing fell flat. It needed to be a surprise or it lost its impact and the humor, oh well. He then also goes on to say that uh, it was actually mentioned before that Garibaldi said in an episode, I can't remember what the episode was, I don't think he says it on here. Garibaldi likes to go there when it's quiet in CNC and um, relax. So. I don't know if that's an answer you like, but that's what JMS has. I mean, I'll accept it, but okay. Let's go to Jesse. First impressions. I like the new commander. I, you know, I didn't want to, because when I saw him, I was like, Ooh, let me, let me Ivanova him here real quick. But um, throughout the episode, he, he was, I don't know. He was fine. He seems like he's going to be a pretty good commander. And, you know, honestly, I wasn't the biggest fan of Sinclair. So I'm actually kind of happy to see him gone. Um, and happy to see a new commander here. Uh, overall, the episode was good. You can tell that there's 
a little bit more money possibly because the CGI was the, just the overall set looked better. Um, and it was, it was just seemed updated. So it was a little bit more, I don't know, modern is if that's the right word or not, but, um, overall the, the plot was good. The introduction of the new character was good. I liked it. John first impressions. So there was a lot going on in this episode. Um, I will say it appears that the production budget was significantly increased as this episode looked significantly better than almost anything we saw in season one. So that was both exciting and jarring a little bit, right? So you just spent however many 20 episodes, 21 or whatever, going through with a singular look. And now it's like you got upgraded. So it's funny. Emily said, wish uh, Sinclair. I was like, man, this is like the Ritz Carlton here. Now we're getting with these, with these um, sets and the CGI. So that was exciting to see. Um, having said that um, because HBO max and all the promo stuff, you know, some of us or most of us who pay attention at all, Jesse had known that Sinclair was not <laughs> long for Babylon five's command. So uh, saw this coming in, um, which we'll have some questions about later. Um, Scott, since you had you know alluded to JMS already had this planned out and, and we could dive into that, I'm sure. But um, overall, uh, I enjoyed it. It was a different change of pace with Sheridan instead of Sinclair, right? They obviously have two different command styles, which you get. Uh, we definitely got a lot of info, which can be both good or bad because right now I just watched it a few hours ago again and still trying to sit with some of those revelations, which I know we'll get into later because I can't decide if I like it or if I hate it. I can't, the sole thing, I can't decide where I fall on it. So I'm glad we got the information and we got a lot of important information, but I'm not sure if I actually enjoy what they gave us. So this episode for me is still kind of in the middle. I'm trying to figure out if I like it or love it or hate it range right now. So uh, I'm either going to sit on it with it or the next couple episodes will kind of shape how I look back on it later. So it's um, kind of where I'm at at the moment. JMS actually had planned if the Sinclair thing had continued on and not the Sheridan, you would have got these answers in about episode three or four of this season. But he decided when he did the shift to just put it all up front on season one. So that may be why you're feeling that too. It did get shifted forward a little bit. So we got some more answers, whether you like the answers or not, sooner than what you probably would have if the show hadn't shifted into season two like this. Also, keep in mind too that originally there was a plan that season two's first episode was going to be Chrysalis Part Two. And it actually was going to be a direct continuation. But they decided again to make a point of departure and kind of restart. And I think that's a reason why, too, in my opinion, that you get a little bit more than what you thought you were going to get, because this is, hey, if we get new people watching this for the first time, let's just do a let's just do a fresh start here. And if you started with season two, episode one, you're you're good to go. You're off to the races. I think that's what they were going for there, too. Did you have something else, John? Yeah, to that last point, uh, you know, you've got uh, Ivanova's kind of. Recap right there when she was showing Sheridan around she was basically like hey, let me give you a brief hit of the important parts of season one real quick so if you didn't really watch it you you don't have to watch it uh here's what you got um I also wanted to point out two things real quick uh Lanier MVP of the episode I'm just gonna say it he had to do a lot of the expository work and he, I think he nailed it uh it was awesome and then um you know we got two new characters <laughs> at least with Sheridan it felt like okay I got it this other one, I think it was Kiefer. Was that his name? That one felt real shoehorned and real try hard to get in this episode. And I thought, okay, I guess. Again, another one where we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, his name's Keffer. You're close. Yeah. I will say, and we actually brought this up in Beyond the Rim because I can't remember what episode it was, but one or more of you said, I would really like to see 
somebody who is in the Cobra Bays or somebody who is doing the fighting. I'd like to see that character. And we all said jokingly in uh, Beyond the Rim, well, Keffer's coming. <laughs> so here's Keffer. Okay, let's go to Justin, first impressions. I actually, for one, like the Keffer character. Um, I'm kind of curious to see kind of how he fits within the whole command dynamic. You know, is he going to be kind of a regular interactor with the rest of the characters or is he just going to be a sometimes kind of show up? But um, I am I am sad Sinclair is gone. I'm not 100% sure right now i can i can trust the sheridan character uh based upon just kind of what happened in chrysalis and everything like that and right now i'm not really sure who to trust um so i'm kind of reserving my judgment on sheridan for now but i really actually liked the whole kind of diving deeper into the cast of struggles among the among the Membari. Um, finally getting to see some really good warriors come up and kind of how their feelings on Sheridan are. And I can't wait to see how that kind of unfolds. It kind of makes me think Sheridan's whole placement on B5 was just to piss off the Membari. And the Shadow People are back. So I'm really looking forward to seeing seeing where that goes. So I'm so far I think season two is off to a great start. I'm shocked, Justin, that you don't know who to trust. Like that's something new. I know. <laughs> Andrew, first impressions. Yeah, so I also really liked uh, John Sheridan. For me, though, the best part of the epi- of this episode was uh, uh, Ivanova. I don't know what happened between season one and two, but uh, there's definitely a character shift where she's a lot more uh, snarky and sarcastic. Uh, compared to season one and uh, I think like in addition to the different leadership style from uh, from Sheridan uh, it was also a really good change of pace. Nicole first impressions. So actually I wanted to double back off what Mandrew said I definitely also noticed the shift in Ivanova her rundown to Sheridan was hilarious I was cracking up and she had a lot of good lines in this in this episode as well and the very beginning she's like it's been like hell here and this and that and at the end she had a really great line about guilt which I wrote down which I feel like is advice that all of us can take uh, but I'll get into that later. Um, okay, so as you all know, I'm a Sinc- I'm a Sinclair stan. Okay, so I was pissed when I saw that this new guy is here. I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? And I really want to hate him. Like for off the bat, I'm like, fuck him. I hate him. And then as the episode goes on, I'm like, shit. I kind of like him. Shit. Oh no, I don't want to like him because I want to hate him. Because again, I'm a Sinclair stan. But. I can't help but kind of like him a little bit. So he grew on me as the episode went on. But I feel like since I love Sinclair so much, it's going to take a little time. Um, And also one other thing I've noticed is you guys all said it was going to happen. We're going to get our questions answered. Uh, Lanier straight up is like, here's what happened at the Battle of the Line. Here's what happened with the Sinclair. Here's what happened here. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, here it is. He's laying it all out for us. But then at the end... He tells the cocoon of Dillon, oh, we didn't tell him about this and this and this. So there's still more that we don't know. So it's like, it's like here, JMS is giving us a carrot. He gives us a couple bites and then he takes it away and then I'll give you another bite and I'll take it away. And I was like, God damn it. I want to know. So that was totally, you, you said it was coming and it came. So that was kind of cool. Um, the information was good. I'm glad to know exactly what happened to Sinclair. <laughs> Why are you laughing at me? <laughs> I had to go off on on mute just to laugh at you for that. <laughs> you can you can listen back and see what you said later on. Enjoy. Oh no! Did I say something stupid? Great. Ugh. But anyways, you know what I was trying to say because I put my foot in my mouth a lot. But anyway, overall, I thought the episode was good. Um, there was a lot of Membari history and a lot of things going on um, that we 
got to learn, which was cool. Um, I also agree Lanier was a big part um, of the the episode. I thought it was kind of cool when he told that guy, if you're going to kill me, just do it, bro. Like he stepped right to him. I kind of hated that guy, Colleen. Colleen, is that how you say his name? Right? Yeah, I kind of wanted to punch him in his stupid face. Um, but yeah, other than that, um, I have a lot of questions and thoughts and predictions um, and a lot of comments about the plot. So we can get into that later. But overall, I liked it. I want to hate Sheridan. I didn't. I missed Sinclair. But now we know what happened to him in the battles of the line, at least. Kalane knew you were going to take a punch at him. So he decided to take cyanide instead. He figured it was a better way out. Yeah, because I would have whipped his ass. <laughs> I do like that you guys are noticing that uh, Ivanova is shifting a little bit because even Claudia told you in the interview, and I still can't believe I can say, hey, Claudia told us this, but she gets to do more in season two. Welcome to season two. Mike, first impressions. If, if this was an episode of The Great British Bake Off, Paul and Prue would describe it as a bit stodgy. It's a very dense episode. There is a lot going on, like way more than I would have realized uh way more than i remembered i can't even distinguish whether there's an a plot b plot it's just it's 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 the whole alphabet full of plot in this episode so uh i mean overall i love it i thought it was a great episode it was very engaging but yeah i just it, they packed a, a hell of a lot into uh episode one of season two with the introduction of not only a crap load of world building but also a whole brand new main character the scarecrow the scare of all the of all the stuff in his IMDb, you're gonna go with the scarecrow. That's what you're that gonna is, pull. That is the one that I used to watch. Dude is fucking Tron. Like, yeah, he's Tron. He's the Tron. scarecrow. He's uh, <laughs> fucking Wyatt Earp in one episode, one uh, thing. Uh, Billy Montana. Like that was the other one I was trying to find. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Okay, and then Kevin, first impressions. Yeah, as somebody who. Having watched this show before wasn't the hugest uh, Sinclair fan in large part due to Michael Hare's you know acting, which I have a, a new appreciation for. I'm a pretty big Sheridan fan, so I'm I'm glad that we've gotten to this point. Um, but I I feel bad for Nicole especially because I know that she really likes Sinclair, but uh, she will she will like Sheridan. Everyone will like Sheridan pretty quickly here, but he uh he definitely is uh is an acting upgrade to the show um i've been a fan of his since tron so that's quite a while the, yeah this is a very dense episode i really like seeing robert foxworth um he's he's known for quite a quite a few different series mostly as a guest actor but um he definitely has a heft to his acting as well so uh overall this is a a good episode uh, did anyone catch that they recast uh, a main cast member? Did anyone catch that? Well, we haven't even seen that person yet. I know. We did in the opening credits. He was in the credits. I know John skips the credits, so he didn't see. For the first couple episodes, I thought. But uh, yeah, they recast Natoth. Um, I did see that. I did see that. I was like, wait, is that name different? Yeah. I, I thought it was hallucinating. Yeah. I'll be like interested to hear everyone's perspective on on the acting differences, but uh is she hot like the first one? Um mm -hmm. I would say not as much, no. Mm -hmm. And then again coming in with the spoilers, he just can't help himself. Oh come on, that's no, so I didn't anyway. notice. I did notice the name was different, but I thought maybe I was wrong and I didn't want to IMDB it or Google it because I don't want to get you all that. Yeah. We'll that's, talk. That's a good 
That's a good uh, good way to think about it. So I do have a question for Scott. So the answer is forty two. Okay, if if Sheridan is Star Killer and he's now the commander of the base, doesn't this make it Star Killer base? I'm just wondering. Womp womp. So you mean the third time we do the exact same plot point? Cool. <laughs> you left yourself open for that one. I know. It you was... know what's really cool? A big gun. You know what's really cool? <laughs> Another big gun. You know what's really, really cool? Another big gun. Which, by the way, if you really want to go down that rabbit hole, sorry, Jesse, for one second, that is where I think they made the biggest mistake in the new Star Wars trilogy is killing the Republic off screen because you could have had a lot more story if you would have kept the Republic as opposed to just blowing them all the hell up off screen, which is what you did. But that's just J.J. Abrams trying to be J.J. Abrams. So we've been discussing this beyond the rim for quite some time. Uh, and knowing that this was going to come, I'm going to tell you what people knew when this happened. And then I'm going to tell you what really happened because we were notified by JMS after the passing of Michael O'Hare, what actually happened. So when this happened, uh, it was telegraphed by JMS about two thirds of the way through season one on the internet saying, Hey, uh, we're working on bringing on a new captain and so forth and so on. So people kind of knew it was coming, especially those who were kind of in the know. And of course, before uh, season two aired, there was, you know, discussion and trades and all that good stuff that Michael O'Hare was leaving the show and that a much bigger name, uh, Bruce Boxleitner, was joining the show since Bruce Boxleitner had that Tron legacy and everything else, not the movie, just Tron. What JMS said was that he felt that Sinclair as a character was turning into the problem solver of every plot. And so it was very hard to write for him. So as he put it, he had put Sinclair uh, under a glass bell and he couldn't really do anything with Sinclair except for, again, have him move the plot around and be this problem solver every episode. So he decided to, quote unquote, break the bell and remove that character and go another way in terms of having Sheridan join. And of course, as much as you may want to say that Sinclair and Sheridan may be the same character, we already know a couple of major points. One is... Mimbari wanted Sinclair there. Mimbari do not want Sheridan there. Also, Sheridan is more military, whereas in Sinclair was more, you know, grunt kind of fighter pilot. Um, and we also know that Sheridan had a more active role in the Earth Mimbari War because he was actually the only guy who actually scored a hit. Uh, that being said, that's what was told back in 94. Here's actually what happened. So as we kind of discussed a little bit meta-wise, Michael O'Hare did not have the best um, mental health uh, during the filming of season one. And we were not notified of this as anybody until after Michael O'Hare passed away a few years ago. Because when this conversation happened, JMS promised Michael O'Hare that I will take this to my grave. And Michael O'Hare told him, don't take it to your grave, just take it to mine. And that's what JMS did. So... About halfway through the season, it became very clear that Michael O'Hare had good days and bad days. And we actually heard about this from our interview with um, uh, Tom, Tom Booker. He said that Michael O'Hare basically pressed him against the wall and kept pressing harder and harder every, every time he messed up his scene. It got to a point where it was realized that Michael O'Hare was having delusions, like he was seeing things that weren't there. Uh, and so there were conversations and originally JMS offered to uh, hold up production to allow him to seek treatment, to see if he can get uh, well. And actually O'Hare said, 
don't do that because if we suspend production, there's a good chance the studio will just say, we're not coming back. And I don't want all these people to lose their jobs because of what's happening with me. So at that point, it was decided that he would leave the show. And also keep, keep in mind too, as we mentioned last or two weeks ago, Chrysalis was filmed about halfway through the production order because of all the stuff they had to do with chrysalis in terms of the effect shots so when they finally get to chrysalis and move into season two there's not a real good stepping off point aside from sinclair's been reassigned the end so that's where we're at and that's what happened so it's very unfortunate that uh michael hare had to deal with that and from what i understand it didn't get much better for him for the rest of his life and his life ended shortly uh ended before it should have because of his mental health issues but um that's what happened scott i have a question for you you said that it was it was made known about two-thirds of the way through the season does does that mean two-thirds of the way through the the airing of the season or the filming of the season i think the airing it wasn't like it wasn't like hey o'hare's leaving it was we're working on bringing some new characters in for season two and he started kind of laying the groundwork there but i think it was during production because i mean we mentioned the guy who just shot garibaldi in the back (laughs) was actually brought on to be a uh, a coach for o'hare and also was there quietly to make sure that people knew if o'hare was going to be okay that day or not he was kind of watching daily uh and that was because jms asked him to do that so about two-thirds way through the production of season one it was very clear that something was going to have to change and the question was are they going to suspend production for a bit or are they just going to move forward and it was michael o'hare's decision according to jms to move forward uh it's funny that jms's reasoning partly or at least initially was that I think you said he was like the problem solver or the the whatever, it, which is funny because in my notes, I actually wrote down uh, Sheridan a little too on the nose with knowing everything. And he, there was any little like, what is this? He's like, give me a second. Yep. Got it. Figured it out. This is exactly what it is. It was like to use Emily's wish analogy. It was like a wish Sherlock Holmes. It was like anytime anything happens, like I got it, figured it out. And that, so it's funny. You were like, Oh, I replaced one guy for what I thought was the exact same thing. Um, and then the other thing I had on that was, and I don't know if you could give it away because I don't know if, it's, if it will be spoilery, but I mentioned it at the top, you had said that JMS had plotted out five seasons worth and had all these note cards. Now, I cannot imagine that he initially had, oh, one of my real life people portraying these characters is going to have this issue and I'm going to have to adjust. So I don't know how much you can or can't tell us, but I'm sure JMS has said, here's what the deviations were. Here's mm-hmm. what it whatever so um, i'm interested to hear what you can tell us i'll tell you first what i can't tell you and that is actually the first ones here plan on doing a bonus episode shortly that will go over what the original plan was for the show if sinclair would have stayed and uh there's um a lot of correlation with what actually what happens but there's also some differences but we're we're going to go into that for those who have seen the show already in terms of what I can say, and Blake actually has alluded to this a couple times already, JMS d- does build in trap doors. What he means by that is he builds in a ways that a character can exit and the story continues. We already saw it with Takashima. We saw it with uh, Dr. Kyle, uh, and now we've seen it with Sinclair. So some stuff will shift, but he had these trap doors built in to where if somebody needed to leave, it wasn't going to screw up the whole five-year arc. Is there... Well, no. The other note I wrote was, this cannot possibly be the last time we actually see Sinclair, since we've seen the flash forward and how important it is. 
unless they tell it from the lens side, maybe, and he's the off camera. I don't, I don't know. I feel like one of my predictions was, and I'll just burn it now, is that we'll see Sinclair again. Um, because even with the issues, you would think maybe one episode, two episodes, you could, you could kind of come back, but we'll see. It could be wrong. I will say you'll get your answer. Just not right now, but we'll talk about it after you leave. Nicole. Um, first of all, it makes me really sad to hear about Michael O'Hare. Um, I really, I don't know what it is about him, but I just really like him. Um, so it makes me really sad to know that he went through those struggles and it makes me really sad that he had to leave. But also that's pretty commendable that he realized I don't want this to stop and I don't want these people to lose their job because of me. And he actually decided to to leave. And I think that's pretty cool. Um, so that's that's really one thing I wanted to say. And then as far as the uh, Sinclair Sheridan switch, I thought it was kind of interesting that they basically, I think they said he was recalled back to earth with no explanation. And then as we find out, uh, he's been reassigned to the Mambari and he's an Amari, a Mambari ambassador and all that. But it was really interesting to learn that the whole Great Council thing, he was the first human contact that they've ever had. And the fact that like, you know, um, I don't, I'm, I'm maybe this is a question, but I'm wondering if Delenn specifically chose him because she had some sort of feeling or if it was just a random who was left that wasn't dead. I thought it was really interesting how they explained um, that, you know, he uh, is basically it, it answers all the questions we had about why did the Mimbari care so much about him? Why was he chosen to run B5? Like what, you know, is it about Sinclair that the Mimbari are so interested in, but now we know. So I think it was kind of a cool way to kind of send him off. I hope we see him again, at least for an episode or two, because the flash forward, but I don't know if we will. Um, but I do think it was really cool that they they didn't just like kill him off or give him some sort of stupid exit. Like, I think what you just said about the trap doors, like I think that they left it open, like in case maybe one day he could come. But, you know, like I liked how they put that um they gave him purpose and they gave him reason to not be there. It wasn't just yeet, you're out of here, you know? So I really liked that, but it is going to take a little time for me to get used to Sheridan. Cause like I said, I love Sinclair so much, but I do like his demeanor and I like the energy shift. And I think him and Ivanova having a history and knowing each other is going to make them work really well together. And I'm kind of excited to see that dynamic as it uh, unfolds. Yeah, real quick, Nicole, I'm glad you brought up the um, the character that O'Hare showed during this. Realize for most of the past 30 years, most fans who had watched the show just knew Sinclair left. We didn't really know why. We didn't know if it was like, you know, a pay argument. We didn't know if it was an acting. We didn't know if it was just JMS got tired of the character. We didn't know until O'Hare passed away. And the idea that O'Hare decided to end what was probably the biggest, well, it was the biggest point of his career being the show lead because he didn't want to put all the other jobs at risk that these folks had. And then telling JMS, you can go ahead and tell my story after I'm gone because I want people to know the story. He didn't want people to know when he was still in a career because obviously that would have jeopardized his career. But as soon as he was unfortunately gone, he gave JMS the permission to tell that story. And I think this says a lot about O'Hare. It really does. Were, were they really good friends, basically off screen, I would assume? Sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to interrupt. I, yeah. just... I mean, I don't want to speak for JMS, but based on what I've read in his autobiography, I would say yes. 
Uh, not only were they working together during production, but there were already conventions going uh, during season one, and they were traveling to conventions together and doing all that. So I'm sure they spent a lot of time together. John? Yeah, I wanted to touch on something that Nicole mentioned because it was both interesting, which I'll talk about a little bit, but also led me to a question, which I just want to clarify. Um, when she talked about Delenn choosing Sinclair, did I hear Lanier right? This is the question part that Sinclair was the first one to be discovered with a Minbari soul or the first one to be interrogated. My understanding yes. is both. Okay. So I was the first one to be interrogated and they just, the first one to discover they had a Minbari soul. I would go even further. Not the first one interrogated the first human they've had contact with. Yeah. Period. It, it sounded like the first ever experience with them. And there was a shock that, Oh, they might have Minbari souls. Cause who would have expected that? You gotta yeah, recognize said something about how they didn't how how they didn't know where these disappearing souls were going to until yeah. they captured an Earth pilot to interrogate them, and then they're like during interrogation is going through his brain is when they realized oh shit he's got a Mimbari soul, and so then now they I guess they did more and they found more of them had Minbari souls. So then now they know that's why they have the special attachment to humanity. And that's why they decided to shut down the war immediately. And remember we got showed that again in this episode too, when uh, the two Minbari go at and the one from the council says, we have never uh, harmed our own. Well, that's why they're not supposed to harm humans now. Same idea, because we're not entirely sure what's going on, but we know that we're one and the same. Not to make another Star Trek reference, but I think Babylon 5 did this better than what Star Trek did. Because remember, those who've watched the original series, supposedly in the Romulan Earth War, they never saw each other because they communicated through radio. We see this here. Um, the What we know is the Mimbari were... <laughs> pushing in Earth completely throughout the war. So there was no need to have communication or action. It was just a Minbari ship showed up, and unless you were John Sheridan, it, got, it killed you. The first time they had an opportunity to see a human was the Battle of the Line. So the follow-up to that was, because we've seen, or at least the after effects of Jakar and some uh, relations, if you will, uh, got me wondering, so is there any actual interspecies I don't want to call it breeding or offspring or, you know, is there any cross-pollination between these species? Because I haven't, I don't remember seeing any. I haven't had anyone talk about it. Obviously, we've talked about the um, sexual tension between Delenn and Sinclair. And obviously, you know, if it turns out Delenn knows that Sinclair's got Minbari in him, he can put some Minbari back in her. But boom. But um, are there any other species crossing over like that? I will just say we haven't seen any. We do know there's a list of who you can have uh, uh, exercises with, but that's all we know so far. Because I know, you know, Jakar tried to get uh, Talia to basically mm -hmm. lead. And so mm -hmm. I would have, I assumed at the time that that has already happened or some Narn has already had relations with some humans. So, you know, it's possible. I mean, you know. No, maybe, said, right? maybe Jakar was just being wishful thinking here. I don't know. Well, maybe he was, you know, channeling his inner Captain Kirk. You just land on a planet, you just start clapping alien cheeks. I'm going to say it. There's no possible way Garibaldi hasn't tapped something. <laughs> yeah. He's in love with the love of his life, Mike. How dare you besmirch their Romeo and Juliet esque relationship? That man is in a coma right now. Mike, leave him alone. He has showed somebody <laughs> his favorite thing in the universe. Garibaldi's a pimp. Don't he? I'm not hating. I'm just telling you how it is. Well, apparently he, he just clapped alien cheeks. And he needs to keep his pimp hand stronger because he's down right now. He's been down for eight days. Watch your back, Michael. Watch your back. <laughs> Oops. Didn't do that. 
<laughs> Nicole. So something you said made me think of something that happened at the end of the episode. So it's relating to what we were talking about, um, about uh, the human and earth war and all that. One thing that Lanier said, which you made me think of uh, when you were talking, was um, that there's a great enemy and the prophecy and all that. Um, and then the darkness is coming. And he specifically said that the humans and the Membari are going to have to work together to beat this darkness. So I think he said we'll have to join. Of, yeah. So maybe this is more of a prediction or, or a question. Yeah. So basically, like, um, maybe the Membari and the humans are more connected than they think. And they're going to have to kind of become one unit to... I. Also, it's like the darkness, those shadow murder puppet spider things. Like, I have so many questions. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. But I did write that specifically down. Uh, and you made me think of it, that that's going to be a, a point that we're going to have to see. As I mentioned, Blake was lost in the wilderness that is Oregon, but he has found his way home. So, Blake, do you have anything you want to add about the shift between Sinclair and Sheridan? Well, I'm not sure it was the wilderness of Oregon. It was Eugene, which can be pretty frightening of a place in Oregon in its own self at times. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you think about the shift with Sinclair and Sheridan, and you think about actors and the egos with when they're leading a show especially. And I mean, this is a guy that recognized he was having problems. He knew what his problems would mean for the show if they had to shut it down, um, which JMS offered. I mean, it's in his biography. He's talked about it uh, multiple times since O'Hare's death. You know, O'Hare, so JMS offered, like, we will shut this down for you to get the help you need. And, you know, he said, no, don't in the show because of me, basically. And so they retooled a lot. And they brought in uh, Bruce Boxleitner as Sheridan, which I think was a strong addition to the cast. I think if you were going to make that change in the lead, they absolutely found the right person um, to lead the show with Boxleitner and Sheridan. Mike, you had something you want to talk about? Oh, I was just going to back up what uh, John had said earlier. I, I, something that I, struck me as funny about the difference between Sinclair and Sheridan. So if JMS felt like he had a problem writing for uh, Sinclair because he was becoming the guy that was the solution to every problem. But I also feel like that was exactly the character that they wrote for Sinclair. He was the guy who went out of his way to insert himself into every dangerous situation, looking for meaning in his life. So I thought that was kind of an odd remark or, or funny remark to make about that. But uh, and then as far as the difference between Sinclair and uh, Sheridan goes, I mean, I, I, I definitely do think Sheridan brings a different energy to the to the vibe or to the set. But like at the same time, I do kind of agree with John's point that they're sort of the same guy. And, and I also was kind of taken aback by the fact that like at least in this first episode, they really turned Sheridan into like the whiz kid who just seemingly knew the solution to every problem uh, a little bit. And I get that they were probably trying to just top load his character to make everybody impressed with him up front, but it just came off maybe a little bit heavy handed. Yeah. I think the one thing I noticed on that is when he asks like, are those our ships in the screen? And like, if you don't know what you're looking at on the screen, how are you going to know? Yeah, weren't you, weren't you the captain of a battleship yeah. like earlier in the episode? I get what they were trying to go for. Like he was surprised they could see him, but the way they played that off, he looked kind of dumb. One of the yeah. hardest things to do on, on, and in any story is somebody has got to be the idiot that asks the question that would be obvious to all the characters, but is not ob obvious to the audience and the best writers do that well most of the time. And I think 
JMS does that pretty well a lot of the time, but every once in a while you get one of these clunkers that it could, it could have been done better, but that is what it is. You can pass that off as well. You know, he's, he's used to his ship systems and maybe the, maybe this, the station has a little bit different system, but that's a hard thing to write. John, you guess one? Yeah. Some, um, you know, there were stark differences, which even though, you know, yeah, they, they both ended up with the answers. I think how they got there um, is different and I actually do appreciate. So, um, you know, I know, it, I mean, they came out flat out and said it, right. He seems to be an antagonist for the Lombardi and, and blah, blah, blah. But their, their conversations or their attitudes toward um, the war and conflict in general seemed very different. So the impression I got from Sinclair a lot of the times was that he like abhorred conflict and was one of those reluctant soldiers, if you will, not looking for a fight, tried to avoid taking others' lives and this and that, um, had a much more diplomatic approach to his tenure as commander and his general disposition, whereas Sheridan seems to um, kind of embrace the animosity that the member, I mean, I know at the end he had a little, oh, maybe I should leave. But up until then, it seemed like he kind of embraced that and was proud of his role and the fact that he was the only one who got one for, you know, quote unquote, the good guys. And, um, you know, when he was looking at his his medal, you know, at first I thought, oh, you know, I was looking over what he's, he's done well. And obviously at the end, when he we starts talking to Ivanova and you know, basically saying, you know, maybe I'm the cause or what's going to be the cause of this war. Maybe I should leave. Blah, blah, blah. But but up until then, just the way that they handle their diplomacy, I mean, you know, I, I thought I got a little bit of a difference um, where Sinclair was uh, a little bit more peaceful. Now, again, I've seen, what, 21 hours of him. I've seen one hour of Sheridan. So <laughs> more is yet to come. Don't get me wrong. I noticed um, Sinclair seemed to have a bit of an affection for Mimbari, that Sheridan seemed to have more of an animosity towards the Mimbari. Um, again, at least in one hour. I, obviously, all of that can change. But I thought there was... Uh, some similarities, but there were definitely some differences in their command style that was on display right from the jump. Mike? Yeah, I'm curious who will agree with me or not on this. I mean, and and John makes a really good point about, you know, 21 hours versus one hour versus on these two different characters. But like, um, you know, so far Sheridan comes in and he seems like a very career military kind of guy. He's what I expect from a former captain of a ship who, you know, was, was a commander in battle. He's, he's proud of his accomplishments. He takes uh, tackles problems in a very straightforward way. The, the thing about Sinclair that I thought was kind of fascinating and I'm going to miss, but it was also really weird was that he, to me, he always straddled this weird line between being almost like less of a military commander, more of a, f- like one half father figure, one half, like your shady friend who would go do hood rat shit with you. Like, does anybody agree with me on this? <laughs> yes, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, would agree. I can see it. One hundred percent. Like, I feel like he's somebody I would go to for advice on my life, but also like if I needed to slash a bitch's tires, I would call him too. You know? Yeah, you're like, I accidentally <laughs> killed a guy. I need you to help me cover it up. He's like, I'm there. He's like, I got you. <laughs> I actually grab oh, Garibaldi for that, but okay. <laughs> uh, the one thing here too, uh, without spoiling anything we only know that ivanova knows sheridan we don't know the relationships with the other crew especially maybe somebody who is in a coma at the moment so that's gonna be interesting to see yeah i was thinking that i'm like are garibaldi and sheridan gonna butt heads and when garibaldi wakes up he's gonna be pissed that sinclair is gone sheridan seems like the opposite of shady there were two uh since you mentioned the military aspect there were there were two military things that i noticed that uh were interesting at least uh the first was 
all of the males collars went one way and all the female collars went another way. Was that deliberate? So look at actual clothing. They do the same thing. I, did, I mean, I, you know, I just yeah, didn't. It's, yeah. Every- it's actually, you know, it, it's, um, I, it's a throwback from um, basically the old aristocracy where Thank they you. would have valets and ladies maids that would dress them and would reach around to button the clothes. Mm-hmm. So the, it's actually men and women, the shirts button from different directions because it would be who was dressing them uh, when they were doing it. Um, so Justin could pick this up, you know, watch a show like Downton Abbey or one of those where they have those type of characters and dressing situations. And yeah, that's why, and it's still to this day, a men's shirt will button one way and a women's will go to the other side. And they did the same thing, carry through uh, with the uniforms in B5. I just thought it was Akka's military uniform and all the military uniforms are the same. So they all zip button. That's that's the part that I thought was odd that there was a distinction. I get the clothes and, and I know that part. I guess it was because it's a military uniform. I was surprised that even that had a difference. You know, and John, they, I'll tell you. zip then button or button then zip? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about socks. John, I will say, you know, I'm pretty sure this was the way it has been the whole show. But for some reason, I noticed it for the first time this episode as well, too. I think it's because we had so many shots of the collar on so many different uniforms. It was the first time I noticed it, too. But yeah, probably not a big thing. It's just something I noticed. The second thing I noticed, too, because talk about military. So the, they had a whole change of command and but they didn't change the command ceremony. So if you're in the military, it's I mean, it's a process. It's a thing. It's not like you just show up like, hey, I'm in charge now. It's like, no, 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 no. We're going to have a whole like two hour ceremony. We're going to have all this pomp and circumstance. Both guys are going to give a speech. If you're a grunt, you're just like, I fucking hate this. I'm going to have to stand here at attention while this joker talks. Nobody gives a shit. But anyway, so former private John was very happy to see the grunts didn't have to listen to a speech. And then he gave the fucking speech anyways. And I thought, damn it, they still did the ceremony. <laughs> and then, of course, he gave it uh empty and i thought now that's how you should do a command change they explained that though you know he he showed up before he was supposed to so then that that completely killed the honor guard and you can make the argument that that also killed the chain mm-hmm. of command ceremony but i think it also says something about sheridan that he carried his own bags not all of his bags but carried his own bags off the transport how many captains admirals generals are gonna to carry any of their bags off the transport yeah until he ran into the first like that's true on- <laughs> <laughs> well he had to go for a walk around the station he wanted he, he to ditch carried the bags. them off because there was no one else there scott <laughs> Well, that's what I'm saying, though. I mean, most leadership guys that I've run into, like higher ranking folks, would he just like leave the crap on the transport. Yeah, he didn't throw a tantrum because no one was there to help him with his bags. He's he's cool, happy guy, not shady, as Mike would say. Nicole's shaking her head. Nicole, tell me how. No, I'm I just, no, I was just laughing. Um, so uh, somebody brought up the dynamic between Ivanova and Sheridan knowing each other, and one thing I wanted to say about Ivanova. I know we kind of touched on her demeanor and her character shifting a bit, um, but I thought she, it was like almost like a 180. I thought she was super hilarious, like throughout the episode, but also she showed a lot of empathy, like almost more empathy than the last season. Like even at the end when she's like, if you ever want to talk, I'm here. And then at the end when they were at the bar, like laughing and had her hair down, she even had a new hairstyle. She had a braid. I like, it was, I don't know, just everything about her was different. Um, And I know she said that was coming, which was cool. Um, But I really thought like, wow, she really has like more empathetic, more funny. So, so I just really am excited to see Ivanova's growth in this season because I feel like she started to blossom towards the end of the first one, 
but she didn't really have a chance to shine. And just in this first episode, she was hilarious. She had her hair down. She has a new braid, like showing so much empathy. Uh, it was almost like a 180. She was totally different. For more insight from Claudia Christian on her uh, character development uh, throughout the series, you can listen to our interview with Claudia Christian found on this channel. Yeah. And, <laughs> and she did Famous say plug. that was coming. Yeah, she did say that was coming. So it was really cool to actually see it in your face. I like just I said, watched this episode like an hour ago, and I don't barely even remember Ivanova being in it. <laughs> oh, she's in it all the time. Oh, yeah. My favorite That's little Ivanova moment is the LBJ in the elevator. And if anyone who's a presidential scholar, LBJ always would lean in and take away all the personal space from a person he was yelling at. She did the exact same thing. And it was amazing. That's a legit power move. Like um, right. when I'll notice when I'm sitting at my desk, people will lean in. Um, and I have to lean in and kind of match their, um, match their body stance in there just to, it's, it's basically like a showing dominance thing. So you take away the, the free space and it makes you look bigger. Mm -hmm. So that's I'm the only one that's now thinking of Donald Trump and his freak daddy handshake. <laughs> yes. Yep. Well, I mean, as I, I've been through far too many leadership courses, and one of the things I've taken away is as a bigger dude, uh, I I'm, I'm make sure when somebody is having a conversation with me in work settings that I give them as much space as humanly possible. Like I back to the corner of the room so they have the door and everything else for that very reason. Uh, so sticking with Ivanova, um, so there were a couple of things. I agree that uh, she definitely, in this episode, seems to have taken on a larger presence right i think i would say the first season sinclair was the main actor he was the main focus and then uh you can see her picking that up at the beginning um however unfortunately i gotta get jump back on the amount of a hate train for a second because um while i enjoyed the acting or the ability to get more space to do more things and obviously show more of a range instead of just the stereotypical you know wooden russian female um, I just wasn't buying that she was so brokenhearted over the assassination of the president. Like I, that part, I was just like, I don't, that's where you want to show some emotion. Cause some guy we've never even seen got killed off screen and some assassination plot. That's, that's the only stretch that I was like, mm, I don't know if I'm really digging this. I didn't think it was about him so much as seeing the ship blow up on screen and like seeing it happening. I th didn't think it was like so much him personally as just like the witnessing of what happened. I was going to say uh, that was uh, something that I noticed watching this episode, like obviously in real life, uh, there's no correlation, but uh, uh, it kind of reminded me of 9-11, uh, uh, how uh, they, uh, it was like live broadcast uh, when casted when the uh, the second tower was hit. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it was completely unintentional, but I couldn't help but draw parallels to 9-11. Well, she mentioned, too, the feeling of not being in control, right? So she was like, oh, it's just, mm -hmm. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't help. I couldn't, I couldn't do whatever, which, again, I mean, I, it's, I wouldn't say it was uh, super like, oh, no, this was terrible. But it was just that part. I was like, man, it, it just, it seemed like such a quick 180. It was like, so we see you in the front, <laughs> you know, your boss of people around you, which let me do it a little aside. She's been in charge for eight days and even she admits it's going to hell. <laughs> doesn't bode well for her uh, promotion capabilities to eventually run Babylon six, maybe, um, which I thought was funny. Um, actually also made me think of, is this the first time they've used voiceover on this show? Uh, not including the opening credits. I believe so. Am I right? I don't remember them doing it before. I don't remember them doing it. Uh, yeah, I yeah. Count the gathering. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess the yeah, gathering, gathering did, right. but I think actual episode 
and really the the gathering was the opening credits. We just didn't get the opening credits. <laughs> that was a little jarring. I, you know, usually voiceover, it's rare that it works, but I did enjoy her little last thing I'll say is I did enjoy, but jump back on the, I love Ivana Petrinas. I enjoyed her little Aaron Sorkin walk and talk with uh, Sheridan. I thought that was. Yes. I caught that too. I, I will, we've kind of mentioned this already, just like the production value seems to be going up. I think the cinematography and the uh, just the photography in general is going up, and you'll see that throughout as well too. I think they just they figured themselves out. They got through their growing pains in season one, and we're off to the races in terms of being high-quality TV. Kevin? Andrew, I thought your correlation to 9-11 was really good. Uh, I was trying to think of, of one, but I, I've asked a lot of older adults um, earlier in my my life about the Kennedy assassination because I was quite a Kennedy fan um, growing up. Uh, and, you know, that was a really, you know, traumatic experience for even people that, you know, didn't vote for him or weren't, you know, all that thrilled with them. And so you can see how that would be a very, you know, traumatic experience for, you know, the, the armed forces who presumably have that as their, you know, their, uh, commander in chief, I would imagine, uh, you know, to be taken out like that. Um, even if, um, you know, they all believe there was no nefarious, uh, um, conspiracy, whether there was or not. So, um, that I think is also a pretty relevant, uh, comparison, but I don't know. I, I wish that there had been a scene that they had inserted with Ivanova, maybe talking to, I don't know, Franklin perhaps about, Oh, I, you know, I can't believe that Sinclair is gone, that kind of thing, but you can, you can figure that something like that probably would have happened and maybe they just cut it. But I think that would have been a good addition. Blake. I was also going to comment like Kevin did, you know, that nine 11 comparison is a go to, especially when you think the several days later, because it wasn't just that day. I mean, you watched broadcasts for days after that, that just still had that you know, sense of shock and really no one knew what to say, you know, and I'm, I'm even thinking when SNL came back, what, two, three weeks later and, and that, you know, opening bit still sticks in my head of you've got Lauren Michael standing there going, how do we be funny? You know, how do we go forward from this? So I, I can definitely see where that shock sets in. Um, but you also mentioned the production value. I really think as we get into season two, I think as a showrunner, JMS found his voice and knew, you know, I think he always had the vision of what he wanted. I think he figured out starting with season two, how to communicate that to the directors, the cinematographers, the lighting crew to actually get what he wanted um, in terms of getting the show to look better as well as, you know, match up with the writing and the character development. Anything else on Sheridan before we move on? The other big thing I think we have is the Mimbari. So let's dive into that. And John, you got something? I was going to say for Sheridan, the last thing I wanted to, to mention was, um, so I thought it was interesting, potentially, <clears throat> That the ship he was commanding previously was the Agamemnon, um, if you know your Greek history, right? So Agamemnon uh, was king and was like essentially commander in chief of the Greek forces during the Trojan War. Um, so obviously he's the captain. He's you know, um, I thought maybe there'd be relation, although hopefully not the way that Agamemnon's life ends. Uh, his wife murdered him, assassinated him. So I don't know if we'll see Sheridan with the lady, but. If we do, just know my immediate prediction is going to be that she will shiv Sheridan and uh, and end it for him. But, um, I, you know, I know how much uh, JMS puts into detail. So I, I thought, oh, maybe there's something with him coming from the Agamemnon. 
The other thing I would add is the Agamemnon was a ship that Lord Nelson commanded in the British fleet. I mean, there's a lot, you know, there's, again, mm-hmm. the Greeks, there's that name. It's also a dope name. Agamemnon Keneally could be my kid's name. I don't know. It's pretty sweet. And for a mere $600, you can get me the Lego set of the Agamemnon, which Mike sent me a link to, and I still want to pay for it, but I don't want to spend 600 bucks on a Lego set. But it's a cool-looking ship. I will say, too, one thing on the Agamemnon, Agamemnon, I can't even say it right, but whatever, is JMS was not happy with the first Earth ship we saw. Uh, Again, production value. Remember that ship we saw, uh, second part of A Voice in the Wilderness? So this is his answer to that. He basically upped the ante on everything. And, of course, in in continuity, the the idea is that first ship we saw was pre-Mimbari War, and the Agamemnon is post Membari war so it's an upgrade uh and then so the last thing before we, we uh, move on to the Membari, because there's a lot there um garibaldi was in this episode um he was kicking it in the icu as he had been there for um eight days but it did give me a question when franklin was like oh yeah it could be hours days weeks years i am 100 percent sure that Garibaldi's going to wake up but what would happen if he wouldn't or how long would they let him stay in this coma on the ship before someone and who would that be has to make the decision to pull the plug trying to off the man is that what you're doing so like again i he's gonna wake up he's the main character he's definitely gonna wake up but i'm just saying okay in a, a real life situation where he didn't how long would they let him stay in the coma on the ship and who would jump in and say all right you know it's time to who Just, has legal rights to make that decision if he doesn't have family? Because as far as we know, he doesn't, does he? No. I'm Not sure that's probably of. commanding officer territory. Though. He's been definitely trying to get Talia to be his family, but she hasn't agreed to that. Hold on. So what Justin just said is why I bring it up. Because it could have been an awesome plot point if Sheridan comes on, Garibaldi's in a coma, he doesn't wake up. It's been like a month, two months, and Sheridan goes, it's time, guys. He's got to go. And instant conflict with the rest of the crew because he just offed Garibaldi. I need space for more of my oranges and hydroponics. We got to get rid of this guy. Okay, hold up. Since you said it, I got to talk about it. They continue (laughs) to bring up the fact that they can't get these foods and these fruits. How are we this far into the future? We can travel by light years, but you telling me we have not perfected or improved the process of preservation and or transportation to get these foods out there? I looked it up. You can freeze oranges and they're good for a year. So they can last on a ship from Earth to wherever, even in the outer rim, wherever he was. Why is this an issue? I don't understand it. I think the argument is fresh as opposed to frozen, but I've never had a frozen orange. I don't think it's going to be as tasty. I guess. Here's your transition to Mimbari. Garibaldi better come out of that coma because yet another dude showed up on this ship with a gun. The security is lax as hell, so he needs to wake up and get these people in line. That's because the next guy in security is in on hits and tried to kill his damn boss. We still have Lou. Lou's somewhere on this station, and I hold out for Lou uh, being, you know, the hero we need and the hero we deserve. Well, you're my boy, Lou. But get it together, because people just walk around with guns everywhere. But anyways, on to uh, the Mimbari soul, the human soul, the, the lens cocoon that she's coming out of. So I'm excited for next episode. Anybody else have anything they want to add about Nobody this wants to pick up on that. Right. How do you know she was coming out? It just looks like it was crying. Like, I'm going to be nice and decent. It looked like she was crying. It looked like the cocoon was crying. No, it was cracking like she was going to come out and there was 
It was actually a significant little piece too, yeah. Oh, it looked like she was doing something. They said it was going to be a long time, so like, oh, they don't really two episodes. I don't think they really knew how long it was going to be. I think you hedge your bets by saying it's going to be a long time, even if you don't think it's going to be a long time, because you buy yourself some leeway with that. (laughs) Lanier did say come back much later. That's what I'm saying. Like, it wasn't like, it didn't sound like, hey, come back next episode and you'll see Dylan pop out of this. Well, and when she's out, there might be like some transition processing that needs to be done. So maybe she needs some space to, I don't know, deal with the changes before she goes gallivanting around the station and figuring out Sinclair's not there and her husband's gone. What's she going to do? She's going to be so upset. Needs yeah. to have Austin Powers reanimation process and have a real to go through a couple of weeks of Lanier uh, feeding her from his mouth and uh, <laughs> like <a> bird. bird style. <laughs> no. Only time will tell what comes out of the cocoon, be it moth or be it butterfly. No, but real quick, Lanier dropped the single most relatable line of the entire first or probably second season. I'm just going to make that distinction right now. He told that dude to straight up kill him or or fuck off because he was had too much work to do. And I one thousand yep. percent understand where he's coming from. <laughs> I this is one of the many reasons why I just love Lanier. He just doesn't give two shits. He's just like, I'm here to do a job and make sure I make Dylan look good. That's my job. So that's what I got. Yeah. Nicole. So um a couple things that colleen guy was he coming in there to kill dylan yes because i thought they couldn't harm each other they weren't you know? supposed to no okay no 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 one was there to kill dylan okay so why would he look like he was going to kill dylan oh so he was going in their guns blazing to try to make it look like that so they'd fire on him and then they can have the war got it death, okay death by cop. Yeah, yeah his entire intention was to get somebody to shoot him and when they didn't got shoot it. him he decided he would just make a body for them and you know hope for the best gotcha okay so is delin so he's she's in her cocoon and lanier is in there with her and he was lighting all those candle things at the end and so is he kind of like just take care of her in the meantime or protecting her or i mean because he's he's technically her like stand-in if she's unavailable right as an ambassador he would be like her spokesperson is that right i think that's probably true we've seen it before i also think it must really smell in that room and so he's actually lighting scentsy candles <laughs> i was wondering about that like he was putting it rather close to the cocoon <laughs> if she's dissolving in there does that have an aroma worse comes the worst metamorphosis <laughs> isn't pretty kevin i don't know what to tell you <laughs> worst comes the worst the pock morale will have dinner it'll be fine uh. ew <laughs> Gosh, Nicole, um, did you, have you guys remember that reference, bunch of nerds? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So the whole um, the soul thing. Um, so basically, from what they said, was that Sinclair was the first human contact they've ever had. After him, they've tested people and they found that Mimbari's souls that are disappearing are are being reborn into humans. So I guess my thoughts are, you know, I, I think that's kind of an interesting way to tie them together because from what i understand with their case and stuff the soul is like sacred um right because uh wasn't that one guy like collecting their souls and then delenn kind of freed them at the end or whatever yes um so their souls are like sacred so essentially and maybe this is more of a question so if humans are 
if Mambari souls are being reborn into humans, would they consider humans like sacred in one of them? Like, obviously, they're not going to harm them. But not everybody knows that, right? Is that kind of what they had said? Yeah. Yes. Yes. and Sheridan didn't have that same conversation. Do yeah. they know about okay. what is this all about the soul thing? No, they don't know about the soul thing. Okay. So my thought, or I guess another maybe question was um, how we said at the end about how um, there's a great enemy and the prophecy. So it leads me to believe that there's still a lot more that maybe we don't know, even though they gave us a lot of information. Um, so there's still an element to this Mimbari that I'm finding them a little less shady now, but I still feel like there's a little shade and like all the infighting with the Mimbari and all that. I'm not really sure how I feel about this whole situation yet. Kind of like John said at the beginning. And then just to clarify, they did blow up the Trugati, right? That's gone. That's done. Yes. Yep. They actually... Okay. They they being I, mean, the, I know they like hit the It wasn't they who blew it up. The Trigati blew themselves up because the engine was a clean hit. Ivanov said it was a clean hit. And then they nuked the reactor because they wanted to die. Okay. Oh, yeah, because yeah. I know they disabled the engine, but I wasn't sure if like everyone died or whatever, but then I saw it blow up. So um were they trying to do that to like kill other people or did it just blow up? They were trying to kill that themselves. That was a, pro- a thought I had is like, okay. Were, I thought maybe they set their ship up to explode and kill the other people around them. They they, they no, had no they intention. Yeah, they had no intention of killing anybody else. That's why they flew past the Star Furies. Their point was we've been flowing around for 12 years and we want to mm-hmm. start some stuff. Got it. Andrew. Yeah, I wanted to go back to Lanier for a moment. Uh, I don't know if it was just me, but He's another character that I feel like got another kind of character shift. Uh, it was like when he was first introduced, he uh, kind of like Veer, he was the, he, it kind of seems like he like he was first introduced as like a, a comic relief character. But then uh, I want to say it was, it would have been Chrysalis where uh, his, uh, like, like even like his manner of speaking is a little, uh, is a lot different, a lot more uh and uh because like at first it's kind of like uh his his voice uh just kind of reminds me of uh, uh like a small child for lack of a better uh comparison but uh for for, for me though it was that that was kind of also a welcomed uh change i like a more serious lanier i love lanier i'll leave it at that john so i'm a little surprised justin hasn't uh spoken up as much as i would have thought because this episode gave us uh what we've been talking about buddy i mean this was Right here, the Mimbar. This is the, the the friction between the two factions here, or at least a, a big uh, helping of it. Which uh, I wrote in my notes when I first saw it. I thought, oh man, maybe the uh, warrior faction has overrun the the religious faction. Maybe they're running things now. Or there were so many possibilities when he showed up and the way it was going down, and you know how he was, you know, basically saying you betrayed us. So you know you know, you don't, you're not honest with us. And the great council is super shady, which was, uh, made me laugh from the goal when he said, Oh, I don't know if they're really shady. I was like, these are the shadiest mofos this side of the earth Alliance I've seen on this show yet. There's no way I'm getting off of that shady corner real quick. How much is known uh, universe wide about the great council? Because Sheridan showed up and he already had knowledge. He, he knew, you know, right away, Hey, this guy wouldn't have this info unless he was on the great council. Hey, the great council, this great council, that, because they at first it seemed like it was some very secretive shady cabal, and now it seems like quite a few people have some intimate knowledge of its workings. Should um, I say 
question? Because the Great Council is the ruling body for the Mimbari, so I don't think they're entirely secret as far as it existing. I think where it gets into the secret part is exactly who's on it, where they are, that type of thing. Um, even when we've seen members of the Great Council outside of the chamber, they never identify themselves really as Great Council members. They always have some other position or some other thing that they're using as a cover, but always seem to know more than they should. Um, so I think that's kind of the secret part is the who they are and the fact that, you know, they're not in a government building somewhere on Mimbar. They even have said a few times that they they float around there in their uh, Mimbari war cruiser thing that they have uh, with their great council chamber. So it's not like they're located on the home world. Emily. I have questions about the logistics of Mimbari souls, like becoming human. Um, Cause that just seems like kind of a job, but I was also wondering if had they told the warrior cast about what they knew would that have actually stopped them because i know they said that mimbari don't hurt other mimbari but would they have viewed the humans as like stealing the mimbari souls and still gone after them even if they had been told the reason for um stopping the war sounds like a good question for beyond the rim i know i'm not saying i hate you but We've given you so much this episode. Lanier has given you so much this episode. And you think you're going to get it all? We want to communicate our feelings. You can feel free to tell Scott to fuck off after saying beyond the rim. No. I believe the proper term is bite my ass. I was just going to point out, I don't know if anybody else missed it, because it was almost a throwaway line. But if, if I remember correctly, Sheridan makes some mention of being the, was it the son of a diplomat? Mm -hmm. He he referenced that he was potentially in a position where he might know a little bit more than the average Joe about Mimbari culture or leadership structure. Don't quote me on it, but I think he said diplomatic attache. Something like that. So kind of like the Lanier or the Veer, his dad was that for some diplomat. The exact word was diplomatic envoy. I have it in my notes. There you go. And also I'm excited about... uh, Emily's suggestion that some Mimbari might just decide that the solution to humans stealing Mimbari souls is to just kill all the humans. <laughs> so all the souls go back to Mimbari. Yeah. <laughs> just a very free pragmatic approach. <laughs> the other thing I want to just insert here about Sheridan is that they also said that he had had a lot of dealings with the non-aligned worlds, the Centauri and the Narn. So he he definitely has some level of diplomatic experience. Yep, Justin. I mean, going back to John, John, I had notes for it. I just had, we just hadn't gotten to that point yet. I do have a few things to say about the Warrior cast, and I think it's going to get a lot deeper and darker before too long because if you say after the ship got destroyed, when Sheridan came back and said, hey, you know, thanks for taking care of that, of us, the, the captain of that cruiser said, yeah, we're not, so basically said, we're not celebrating over here. Actually, most of us view these people as heroes, you know? So, like, a lot of the warrior cast really looked up to the people of the of the Trigati and stuff like that for taking that step and kind of, you know, rebelling against the system and, you know, deciding not to accept the surrender. And I think that um, their whole prospect of wanting to become martyrs, I think, will have a lot of implications going forward, Um, especially when you see that, um, I can't remember the name of the captain right off the top of my head that died on Babylon 5, but he made the comment when they said that, they um we don't you know memory don't harm each other 
he said, well, maybe we need to start. And I think maybe we're going to see that as a theme going forward with the Mabari. Okay, let's go ahead and go into questions and predictions. Not that you already haven't been throwing out questions and predictions, but we'll dive into those. And let's go to Justin first. Questions and predictions moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I guess the main question that everybody's going to have is, are we ever going to see um, Sinclair again? I kind of hope we do, but I don't know if his mental health or, you know, filming ever kind of allowed for that to happen. Um, and then, you know, it's the paranoid the paranoid person in me you know who else who else can't we trust on b5 you know we already know some people up in uh high high up in security or home guard who else's home guard was you know that's kind of the way i kind of pictured the whole transition happening from the way they described it is the new president clark i, I yeah when uh clark sent sheridan out there um i i think maybe is he part of was he part of the home guard is I don't actually, really think so, but it's a good question. Is that actually what we but heard? I thought Clark, I thought thought they said that he was Clark's choice to go up there. Or was that he was selected? Or did I mis misunderstand that? Yeah, no, he's he was selected by the former president mm -hmm. as if oh, Sinclair, in case anything went wrong. In case something okay, happened to right, Sinclair, right. he was the guy. Now he has Never spoken mind. to Clark too, because he said he spoke to the president which would yeah. be Clark. So he's talked to both of them now, but originally right. he was selected. I forgot. I forgot he was, he was handpicked by, by um, Santiago. Mm -hmm. You're right. Never mind. But then I'm really curious to see what Dylan is like. And then uh, my, my last question, my last kind of question is what, uh, what are the Vorlons role in all this? Like what exactly does Kosh know about Dylan and her prophecy? Is he, how much is he involved? Was he involved in any of the presidential assassination stuff because he walked in told Seglair and so it begins, you know? And so that's, you know, I'm kind of really curious to see how deep the Vorlon uh, involvement goes from here. Emily, questions, predictions? The first question, like actual question is, do we ever get the full story of the presidential assassination? And, you know, was the VP actually in on it? Like mm, part of the plotting of it? Or was it more like a, Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I'm not going to be an actual party to it, but I'm going to hit and the people who support me know what I'm saying kind of thing. You know what we've seen? And um, I guess my prediction is the darkness that um, Lanier talked about is the same as the shadows that the Centauri were worried about. And that is who Morden is working for. But then my question is that the group the Narn are trying to avoid that we saw many episodes ago. Like, are they all one in the same with different names? That's it. Jesse, questions, predictions. So Sinclair just never got to find out why the battle of the line ended then. From what we understand, who knows what he was told when he went to Mimbar, but right. Um, okay. Cause I feel like that was pertinent information to him specifically. It would really um, piss him off if they didn't tell him. <laughs> right. And then um, I, there, uh, I just uh, feel like there was a lot of like, I don't know. I, I don't know who I should have said this earlier, but I feel like there was a lot of um, closure issues with the way that they took him and sent him out. Like it just, I get it. I mean, we've already kind of discussed this a lot, but I, I just feel like it was very unresolved. I, I guess my, and it's Justin's question too. Like, are we ever going to see him again? And I, I, JMS would be knowing what JMS knew with him leaving the show and why he left the show to still write him into the show could be, I guess, like you said, what do you, what'd you say? He always keeps a what? 
trap door. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that he could always work his way out of that if he had originally, I'm just wondering if he originally, if he had, if he had planned to bring him back. So that's Good it. question. Yeah. I'm not going to answer it. I, yeah, I'm well aware. <laughs> I, I don't ever expect you to answer my question. <laughs> I answer a couple. I answer the I first know. one. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. I um. I just don't. I don't know. I think that that's. Um. I think the way that he left the show was really weird to me. The one that I wanted to add that I was I forgot to mention earlier, and this is actually for our audience. I know JMS is very active on the Twitter and on the Facebook. We actually talked about this on Beyond the Rim a while back, but now that the rest of the team knows about the Switch, I want to throw out there, when you're interacting with JMS on social media, uh, he has made it very clear that he does not want to discuss this topic. Uh, He actually tweeted out about a month ago, it's like going to a family member whose child died in childbirth and saying hey what would have the what would the uh, child's bedroom color been if they would have survived so he does not like talking about what ifs in terms of sinclair so as we're talking about this episode i know we have a pretty good following obviously we're chatting about it we'll chat about it with the community but i would recommend that we don't try to bring jms into that conversation because he does not want to be a part of it andrew questions prediction i have a prediction that I do think Sinclair will come back at some point, maybe as like a guest, uh, because, uh, yeah, obviously he's not going to be like a a main character anymore. But uh, I'm just thinking, and Jesse kind of talked about this a little bit uh, with uh, Babylon Squared, uh, where it was like an older uh, Sinclair that was coming back from the future. Uh, like, I, I feel like, like from what I'm, I've been picking up on how JMS writes things uh i i feel like he'll he's gonna find a way to uh work that back in uh and then my question is uh what is this uh threat that the mimbari uh prophecy is uh talking about okay john so most of the questions that i had have been asked either by me during the episode or uh everyone going before me the other question it kind of goes a little bit to what andrew was saying was you know, will Delenn's decision to go through with the chrysalis inflame the Minbari conflict? And that leads into my prediction because I think that the the main conflict, the main focus of this season is going to be the Minbari conflict uh, between the two factions. And I know Emily said it is a joke, and I think Mike Reader is a joke, but I wouldn't be surprised. It's a good line of thought for the military faction who still, you know, it seems harbors hate for the humans um, to say or find out that they're stealing our souls. So we have to go eliminate them. This is, you know, this, they're not real Minbari, they're, they're imposter Minbaris. And that that will, you know, drive a conflict between them and the religious faction in whatever the prophecy is dealing with the darkness or whatever you want to call it, which I also agree with Emily. I think it's all the same. Everyone's talking about the same thing. It's what we saw at the end of season one. Um, and I think which, what will be the actual resolution, whether it's in season two or maybe in season three, with them getting together, the Minbari and the humans, hey, we have a, a larger foe that we, you know, it's bigger than us that we have to combine and and fight and, <clears throat> excuse me, which will then bring in, you know, the other species and Londo again, having, you know, his Sophie's choice, if you will, of, you know, hey, you owe me a favor, dude. Like I did this for you and I'll blah, blah, blah. And my boy Londo making the just heroic sacrificial choice to either give up position or, or whatever to say, nope, I'm not going to go with you. You're crazy. I'm going to throw my lot in with the good guys and we're going to rise up to beat you and on all of your grossness. Um, outside of that, I also am going to say, like I said earlier, I, I 
do predict we'll see Sinclair again. I think unless there is some crazy, which I wouldn't put it past JMS, um, POV episode of that future that we talked about. Cause Scott, you've already told us that we're going to get the other side of that coin. So it would be crazy if they were able to edit or go around not seeing Sinclair in that. Again, not saying it can't happen, but my prediction is that they won't and that we will see Sinclair um, and that we'll have a lovely resolution or whatever. And now whether that's this season or not, I don't know, but I think that's uh, I think that's definitely in the cards. And Nicole. So some of my questions have been asked already, but I also would like to know um, what is the darkness? Is it those creepy spider black things we saw that blew up the raiders and you know is that the darkness that was a great point i think emily made um so uh and what's the prophecy like what's the rest of the prophecy that linear didn't speak of um i want to know what that is uh also when um at the very end uh when the um Mimbari captain was talking to Sheridan. He had said, you know, we mourn these people, we respect them. And he specifically said, um, the Sheridan name will be remembered or your name will be remembered. So my question is, is the conflict with Sheridan and the Mimbari going to escalate or are they going to be pissed uh, that he's there and, and start kind of trouble with him. Um, and then I guess my prediction is, um, I think that it's just going to keep escalating with the Membari. Um, and I think that, I do think there might be some problems with their factions, but I, I think the greater good of, of, hey, we've got a bigger enemy to fight. And I, I do think eventually the humans and the Membari will unite. And I do think we'll see Sinclair again, just because I'm hopeful. I could be totally wrong, but I really hope we do. We'll go ahead and jettison our newbies and then go into Beyond the Rim where we can answer all of these questions that we can't answer with them. So if you are new to Babylon 5 and don't want to get spoiled, you can leave us after the credits. And then if you are somebody who has already seen the show or doesn't care about being spoiled, you can stay after the credits and we will answer all of these questions. Until next week when we talk about Revelations, I have been Scott and with me has been... Emily. Jesse. John. Justin. Nicole. Andrew. Kevin. And Mike. And Blake. Okay. We will see you all next week. And those who don't care about spoilers, stick around. Hey, listen, you can't say and. You should have been and Mike with Blake. You know how they do it. There's not two and. Featuring Blake. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to this podcast and links to our social media accounts at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so please join the discussion on Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Gray 17 is a part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. You can find all the Front Row shows at thefrontrownetwork.com. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All audio clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing Babylon 5 themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth.
All right, welcome back. We are here for Beyond the Rim again. Final warning, this is a spoiler section of the show, so if you have not watched anything past points of departure and do not want to get spoiled, you should drop off now. Uh, first one we have is John with a question, is there interspecies uh, procreation? I Honestly, uh, there's only one that I'm aware of, and that's Sheridan Delenn. Do we know of any others that happen in the show? I mean, I'm sure it happens. Yeah, I mean, we wouldn't know because yeah. it's not really relevant. You know, yeah, but I can't think of any like any side characters like the telepaths were all human, so that doesn't count. I I can't think of any other side characters that had interspecies breeding. I mean, I I would assume it's possible because they have the interspecies mating list. Yeah, yeah, very much. But yeah, other than Delenn Sheridan's kid, I don't. I mean, we're gonna get David. Yeah. Uh, With all the, I mean, creepy jokes aside about Jakar as the ladies' man, I mean, his whole proposition to Vita basically I, I feel basically comes down to yes it's possible yeah yeah would you like to be awake or asleep uh let's see how much is known throughout the galaxy about the great council blake i think you kind of answered that one already mm-hmm. anything else you want to add no, i just say i think you know it's secretive but not like a huge hidden secret it's known to exist it is the ruling body of the membari but the details are where it gets sketchy it seems like it's kind of clear that the upper echelon which would include sheridan know more than the general public does so i would imagine there's got to be some sort of espionage going on well i mean this this race almost wiped you out of existence 10 years ago so i hope there's some intel right <laughs> yeah and vice versa even Did though the minbari backed off yeah then i don't know I, I guess you think that but then i also think it's very weird that the Membari pushed humanity to the brink of extinction without having ever actually seen a human being up close until the line. Well, I mean, they were on a vendetta too. I mean, Dukat got wiped out. And... Yeah, I suppose. It just seems really strange that like they wouldn't abduct somebody sooner to like have a poke and a prod, you know? I also think it's weird that, you know, they the Minbari wipe out, you know, untold, you know, thousands of, of humans and yet, you know, Clean's pissed because and a lot of the Minbari are pissed because they got one ship. Mm-hmm. It's like you guys need to get over it. <laughs> um, I think that though gets into everything we've seen about the Minbari around honor and the mm-hmm. way you do something. Yes. You know, and you, I don't even go back to, you know, how pissed off did the British get in the Revolutionary War because American forces were doing guerrilla tactics and not, you know, marching in the convenient little lines like the British wanted them to. The issue wasn't so much that Sheridan, you know, took out one of their ships at the, and they didn't really make it clear here. I'm going to pull from, you know, a little bit of in the beginning. Mm -hmm. He basically mined an asteroid field and sent a distress call to lure them in there and then blew the ship to hell. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, so it was not an, uh, in the eyes of Mimbari, it was not an honorable taking out of the ship versus what would have been like a fair, honorable fight. You make yep. a very good point. Well, Delenn's decision to go through the chrysalis inflamed tensions between the religious and warrior cast. Uh, oh, yeah. I think, I think they're already inflamed, but a yes. Little, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think actually, I, I, I think it's Emily who made the prediction later on down the road, but yeah, I think uh, we're seeing definitely that there's a Mimbari shakeup happening, which actually, when we do our bonus episode about what would have happened if Sinclair stuck around, there's even more Mimbari shakeup that happens in that original plan. So, Sweet. actually, surprised nobody has made it well that I know of has made a prediction about the composition of the Great Council because we know that becomes a thing later. 
mm-hmm. I feel like they're all beating down that path, but no one has connected those dots yet. Well, and I mean, to be fair, I still don't think we've heard worker class mentioned yet. I thought we have once. Have we now? I, okay. I believe I believe it was even stated that the Great Council was composed of three, three, three. Okay, because we know there's nine on the council for sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, and you know, we'll see this later when uh, Delenn's almost, you know, ostracized and then kicked off the council and then breaks the council later on. So it it's definitely going to escalate for sure. Mm-hmm. So prediction-wise, will Sinclair show up again? Yes, uh, but I, I think that was not that was not guaranteed when this all happened. And I think not that again. JMS has made it clear he doesn't want to talk about this stuff, so I don't think he's ever released it or anything. But I'm sure he had another plan for if O'Hare would not be healthy enough or not willing to come back to do War Without End. Uh, so I'm glad that he will come back, but I don't think at this point that was a surefire thing. So uh, this conversation is something that was definitely had at the time as well, too, by not only the fans, but by the production. As a fan, I am very, very happy that he was able to at least come back for War Without End, because I think that in the in the end, the Sinclair character wrap up is is a really beautiful part of the story. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad that O'Hare was able to film that. Mm-hmm. But War Without End is not the first time we see him back. That's true. Because there's the video he sends Garibaldi introducing the Rangers. Yeah. Hello, old friend. JMS yes, actually, my understanding is JMS recorded that during season one. Ah, that makes sense. And I kind of wonder when they were, because they knew what was going on when Babylon Square was filmed. I, I've always just kind of wondered in the back of my head, was there not some lost footage somewhere there mm. that was plan B? I'm, I'm not, I, mean, I have no source for that or anything, but I've, I've just always wondered, was there some filming there that took place that could have been used in the event of not able to do the rest of it? Yeah, this is a hundred percent assumption, but I think you could have pulled it off because obviously he's in the encounter suit or spacesuit for most of it. And if you just keep the camera rolling a little bit longer, you can get most of what you need mm-hmm. with his old version. Of course, you would lose a lot of what War Without End is, but at that point you're three years away or two years away, so you don't know what you have anyway, for the most part. I am looking forward to seeing when he does pop back up, because I think um I think it'll be a welcome sight, even for those who weren't big Sinclair fans, just for what Kevin is saying, too. I think they give him a really good send-off. Yeah. There'll be significant conflict between the two casts. Yes. The humans in Bari will join forces. Yes. <laughs> I mean, if you guys have anything else I want to add, but yeah. Um, Londo will be involved as a hero, helping the conflict go back to its agreement. <laughs> you know, he Sorry. ain't wrong, but he ain't right either. Not exactly. I, I, I was thinking about this, I, I think it was last episode, and maybe, I think it was last episode, or maybe it was the episode before, where he was talking about how Londo will go back against Morden. Londo does, and Morden kills Adira for it, so we will see that, but there's a lot but more. Londo goes there. down the bad path first. Yeah, well, and then again. So, but I think that's what makes Londo's story so compelling is it is truly not until the very end where he does finally get his redemption at the hands of Jakar. Especially during that time as emperor, because he had the drop keeper. Yep. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's a lot of tragedy and redemption in Londo's story. 
Yes. It's I though I said this with the gathering. I still think this is Lando's story when it comes down to it, even if he's not in half the episodes right now. Moving right along, we got Justin's questions. Will we see Sarah Claire again? We already discussed that. Uh who else can we <laughs> Justin's ultimate question, who else can't we trust on B five? If you ask Justin, we can't trust anybody. <laughs> But uh, he hasn't picked up on Talia being untrustworthy yet. So the one who isn't trustworthy, he hasn't picked up on yet. Of course, she hasn't been in much. She's hardly had anything written for her at this point. It's really easy to see why Andrea Thompson got, just got fed up and was like, mm-hmm. I don't want to leave because, mm-hmm. you know, she's she's had zero to do up until this point. He's got the what will Delenn look like? Well, we'll find out in a couple episodes. I do like the conversation they had about, you know, this seems moving pretty quickly, but we are going to get scaly Delenn for a bit. So they do drag it out for a bit. What does Kosh and the Vorlons know about the prophecy? Everything. Because they were there when it happened. It's not a prophecy for them. It's the history books. (laughs) And I'm looking forward to when we finally do get to end the beginning. And they see that the Vorlons are on that ship. That we've now seen a couple times. And we'll see again. The Vorlons are there. Talking to Dukat. And then finally talking to Delenn. So. Which ties back to what we saw last week. When Delenn went to Kosh and said I need to see. Before I make this decision. And he shows her. Just to back up what she's already heard from him over and over again. <clears throat> will the Vorlons be more involved now? Oh, kinda. A little. And, and they will get a lot more involved when Sheridan forces their hand and forces Kosh to do stuff Kosh didn't want to do. I said Kosh will get a lot more involved because so I've binge forward. I, I've talked to you about this, Scott. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I binge forward up into season four just to watch the you know Sheridan arc and take a refresher on it my own self. You stopped at season five. How dare you? I did. <laughs> Um, you know, you really see Kosh get involved as a mentor and father figure mm-hmm. to Sheridan, especially in these early episodes, um, into his journey through the, through the story. So I, I do think you're going to see more of the, the Vorlons, but you're also going to see more of Kosh coming into play, mm-hmm. uh, and trying to guide things. You know, and as much as JMS's original excuse for why Sinclair O'Hare left was the whole, he was just being a problem solver, you kind of see it here because Sheridan allows JMS to do more, much like you're just talking about with the uh, Kosh mentoring and everything else. Sheridan, as a character, is more of a blank slate that he can mold. Well, and, you know, the the acting chops, I, they couldn't be more more the the difference couldn't be more stark i mean box lightner is just a much better actor i i don't know i i hear where you're coming from and i think you are right but based on what we've seen right now i question that uh the first episode with box lightner he's much more of a warm character but i don't know if that's acting rather than just the way he's written we will definitely see a lot more from box lightner and i think at the end of the day i can make that assumption too but uh, I don't see it right now. I think O'Hare is given a bad rap in that case. And that's my opinion. I think the biggest thing for me is the fact that and I kind of made a joke about this earlier, but it's a hundred percent the truth. I feel like Sinclair's character is very uneven compared to what we've seen of Box Lightner being what I would describe as a more straightforward kind of mold conforming archetype. Mm-hmm. I think Sinclair the, the character of Sinclair tries to play two kind of opposing sides of of you know father figure slash kind of rebel rogue and and it's unusual it sometimes comes across in an awkward way that makes me wonder if it's bad acting or just a difficult portrayal Mm -hmm. 
Well, I think some of it's story too, Mike, because we're going to get an answer to that in a few episodes with Sheridan when uh, General Haig comes back in, perp- in uh, person uh, and visits the station and talks about why Sheridan was selected and basically says, you know, he was uh, President Santiago's second choice and that on paper he looks like the military hard ass. Now, the line in that is going to be, but you and I both know you're not, mm-hmm. you know, and so I think there's going to be a lot more depth to explore in this character where he can be that more buttoned up military commander on when he needs to be on the surface. But then we can see more of those rogue elements um, when they need to come out as well. Mm-hmm. I, I, I will wrap this up by just saying I've said it before, I've gotten a lot more. Uh, respect for O'Hare as an actor watching through with these uh, the newbies like this for the first time in a long time. So, as have I, I and certainly I have a lot of personal respect for O'Hare too for mm-hmm. a number of reasons. But but at the end of the day, I still want uh, I still want Box Lightner on my acting team. <laughs> I'm sure just glad we can stop worrying about showing off sharing right. gifts and everything else too. It's gonna pretty, pretty it's soon gonna, to land too. Yeah, it's going to open a lot more gifts for me on Twitter. That's for sure. Oh, uh, let's case Justin's prediction and the Mimbari won't hold fire against each other going forward. Not yet. We're going to see a little bit more intrigue before we get to all out Mimbari civil war, but it'll happen. Uh, Nicole questions were, how was Sinclair originally chosen? And Blake, you kind of just hit on that a little bit too, but we were told in the episode, uh, a previous episode that, uh, the Minbari picked him and we know why. And the Minbari were fronting the bill to pay for B5 or at least partially pay for it. So that's why they got to put their hand on the scale and say it's him. And they passed up a lot of people in the process. What is the darkness, the shadows, or as they're being referred to right now, the shadow men, or creepy spider ships. <laughs> yeah, it's the creepy spider. Creepy spider. I think she said last week, creepy murder spider ships. Yeah. Well, and it was. It's interesting that I. I thought they were going to pick up more from the opening credits. Yeah, you were worried about that. I was. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a pretty clear scene where the shadows blow up a Narn, you know, cruiser, and mm-hmm. they didn't really pick up on that um you know and they they picture garibaldi with with uh ivanova and uh sheridan but they already guessed that he wasn't going to be written off the show so yeah he's in the opening credits i think he's safe yeah <laughs> but uh you know actually our, our friends over at babylon 5 for the first time had this in-depth conversation but it was kind of weird because they couldn't know what we know yeah. so they're like on their uh their show basically saying uh jeff had seen the opening credits and brent did not and jeff was upset because he was told too much in the opening credits uh, so I can see that as a newbie watching this, I can see where you could get upset and said, you right. spoiled a lot for me. Right. I think he was intentional. I mean, obviously it was intentional. He put it in the opening narration for a reason. I think, uh, what JMS would say is if you're paying attention, you know, something's coming. True. This is just me telling you, this is what's coming up next. So, but yeah, no, but Jeff, absolutely from the. Babylon 5 for the first time was upset when he saw the credits as well, too. I wonder, I think he's watching on HBO Max, so I don't think he got spoiled with Delenn because HBO Max has been good about that and used the credits where it's still bonehead Delenn. But I wonder if he saw more. If he did, I don't think he said so in his show. What's the prophecy? Well, the prophecy is the shadows are coming and they're going to push people's shit in. 
and if the Mimbari and the Earth and everybody else don't get along with each other, it's going to be bad. And the prophecy is not a prophecy. It is what Sinclair tells the Vorlons a thousand years ago is going to happen, which is why once we get past uh, War Without End, there is no more prophecy. We're on our own because Sinclair can't tell us anymore, which again, is, uh, I love that little bit of time travel. I'm looking forward to having that conversation. Is the conflict between Sheridan and the Mimbari going to escalate? Well, we got four more years <laughs> of show. I mean, I don't know what else to say there. Maybe you guys want to add anything, but yeah. <laughs> well, between Sheridan and the Mimbari, not really. I mean, there's the one episode um, where the uh, uh, Lanier's, uh, what is it, um, clan member the guy from the same clan as Linear, I'm blanking on the names, but oh, tries, yeah. basically, you know, sets it up and frames Sinclair for, or frames Sheridan for shooting him in Bari. Oh, yeah. You know, so there's going to be that episode, but that's kind of the end of it, really. We've also got Naroon being pissy at Sheridan all the time. Well, Naroon's an asshole to everybody. I mean, that's that's, <laughs> that's going to be a running good. theme. Naroon is just an asshole. I think part of it, too, is because the Mimbari are going to have so many internal squabbles and conflicts moving forward, they're not going to have time to worry about Sheridan very much longer. Yeah, I mean, I think the overarching question here is, do the Mimbari as a race or leadership structure take particular issue with Sheridan the way they try to imply? And no, they don't. Plus, he really doesn't do anything, you know, throughout his tenure at Babylon 5 to tick off the, the Minbari too much. Well, I mean, it can't be too bad either, because, you know, spoiler, when he get when Babylon 5 gets its version of the Defiant and, you know, Sheridan gets the White Star, you know, it is a Minbari crude vessel. That's true. That's another thing that in the very same episode, uh, I, I keep referring back to the other guys, but they're watching this at the same time we are. Uh, Brent mentions that uh, he thought the Agamemnon was going to be the Defiant and everyone in the chat's like trying to be good and not mentioning the white star in their youtube chat <laughs> let's see here uh prediction of vanava and sheridan will work well together well that's not much of a prediction to cult <laughs> you've seen it already <laughs> uh the mimbari conflict will escalate we've hit on that yep uh eventually the humans in mimbari will unite well if not then uh shadows win so yeah and we will see sinclair again okay uh just uh, go ahead somebody yeah. has something uh, go ahead uh, jesse uh are we going to see sinclair again we've seen that uh does jms plan to bring sinclair back yes as we've already discussed emily would the mimbari warrior cast have allowed the war to end no yeah and we get told that right what's they room say pretty clearly yeah, if I yeah, had known why we surrendered, we would never have surrendered. Or a, a little laughed at or whatever he said. Yeah, he said something to the effect of, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. That's what he said. Thank you. It's been several years since I've seen that episode, but yes. This was a really interesting point by Emily. Would they have viewed the loss of souls as a theft? Mm -hmm. I thought that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. She reads in this stuff more than some of us she, do. She was, but but it wasn't really. I don't think they view it as a theft. You know, I, where they got it was, you know, as Linear put it, you know, they noticed that souls were missing from their less and less were being reborn each year, and they wondered where they were going, and then they kind of found out. So, for and that's the sacred part of the soul with Mimbari is re, the soul is reborn. Mm -hmm. For them, it's not so much an afterlife as the soul is reborn into a new yeah into a new body into a new host type. they kind of follow the um sorry they kind of follow um carl sagan's idea of the universe learning itself as it goes the whole idea is making yeah. your race better by growing through 
reincarnation. Can we talk about how shitty their culture must be when they also throw in that line about uh, the souls that are brought back don't live up to the previous generation? <laughs> well, I, I, I kind of see that as Lanier talking about himself, too. Lanier's got some imposter syndrome, big time. I suppose, but man. I'm just listen to the boomers talk about the rest of us. Some of them oh, that is, that is yeah, precisely what I'm thinking about but, right now. But this also harkens back to the whole soul hunter conversation about how there's this other race of people out there who judge whether you're worth saving or not. Yeah. And it's very like, no, nah, man, you don't, you don't uh, hit the requirement on the scale. Sorry. What, what, what do you say to Sinclair? I'm not poem, here for I you. <laughs> I'm not here for you. <laughs> Like, ouch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which was definitely written before we found out Sinclair's Valen, but <laughs> that's yeah. a whole nother thing. Do we ever get the full story in the assassination? Sure do. Hmm? Fairly soon, actually. Yeah. Was VP Clark involved in the assassination plot? Yes. Oh, hell yes. <laughs> yes. And we already mentioned LBJ once. Why not keep it going? Yeah. <laughs> well... <laughs> Mike and I had a college course on that once. Ooh, funny like, aside, I I was talking to a buddy recently who's a uh, we'll just say younger uh, younger lad, and uh, he was not aware that there was any like footage of the JFK assassination, and so God, he had Lord. actually in his like twenties seen it for the first time and was kind of like shook by it. And oh. I was like, well, hey, I don't know how you made it this far in life, but yeah, yeah uh, like it was kind of it was kind of a funny. Um, you know, I almost mentioned it back when Andrew brought up the whole 9-11 thing not mm-hmm. to further bring down the room. But I'm like, yeah, it was a pretty serious deal. And like, it was also pretty graphic. And Scott and I got to watch it like a oh my thousand goodness. times that semester. How many times did he rewind that tape oh, one, that one night? And a night. I watched JFK's head explode way too many yeah. times for a college course. Ugh. But uh, yeah, let's see. It was a good course, though. Presidential Impactful. assassinations. Better than an Oliver Stone film. Oh, yeah, that he went over that too. He, by the way, the the professor we had, and I agree with him. By the way, is not a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> and he made, the the uh, he made very clear that he thought Oliver Stone was a hack. Uh, let's see, is the coming darkness the shadows? Yes. yes. Is uh, who Morton works for? Yes. Is that who the Centauri want to avoid? I I no. don't. They're not avoiding them right now. Well, they're very they much in bed with the shadows right now. They should. Yeah. Yes. They they really should listen to uh, uh, Mrs. Roddenberry when she tells them not to play around with the shadows, but they don't. She didn't have any predictions. So Andrew's question: What is this threat that the Membari prophesies refers to? Prophecy refers to. The Shadows. And Prediction Sinclair will come back as a guest star to wrap up Babylon Squared. Yes. Nailed and, it. Yep. JMS will find a way to work that back in. Yes. And the way he works it back in, I think, uh, War Without End is just an amazing two-parter. So I'm looking yeah. forward to that when it comes in Season 3. What else we got? Anybody else have anything they want to add about this conversation? Most of what we had was with the newbies, but if there's anything else we can talk about i just think overall just the tone of season two and i mentioned it when you asked kind of my thoughts on it and i already mentioned production value mm-hmm. you know the tone of season two and jms has even commented on this back in his usenet days you know they stepped up the cgi they stepped up some of the lighting the sets because um, and jms said there were certain things that season one weren't lit the way they wanted they didn't show off the sets the way they wanted didn't show off the costuming the way they wanted uh so come season two they adjusted a lot of that i think really season two to me it visually looks better i think the writing has hit a point where it's better you know and that's the one thing
something JMS answered when he was asked how the show changed from the first season to the last. And, and his answer was, it got better. And that I think that's what we see with season two. We're seeing it get better as the story develops, as these pieces come into place. Mm-hmm. You know, the story gets better. It looks better. Just all of it. And, and even with the credits evolving into the different uh, credit sequences that tell the story you're going to see in that season, both from the visuals and also the tone of the music. You know, I'm surprised Nicole didn't pick up on that. The tone of the music changes with the credits uh, with the season because it helps tell that story of what the tone and tenor of the season is going to be. I'm, I'm curious because you brought that up. And this is probably a conversation we can have with the newbies a long time from now. What are your what for all of you? What is your favorite opening credit uh, season? In terms of just like how they look, the narration, the uh, the music, what's your favorite? As much as I love to shit on season five, I actually yeah. do like the season five. Yeah, credits. that one's yeah. really good too. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Because that's kind of all of them, really. Because it, it starts is. off, it, it's all of them. It's the whole story. I also like Ivanova doing season three, um, mm-hmm. even it though failed. that's dark you know yes and, and then kind of bright a little bit at the end i i like that one but i agree with blake i think season five's credit scene is probably the best one mike what do you think have you seen them lately i have not seen all of them lately i was just it's funny you just said that because the thing that sticks out in my mind is is the the, the credit sequence that ends with it fails that's three that, that i wasn't sure where that was at you're saying it was three yeah so that's, three yeah but uh that was our last best hope for peace is, it is firmly planted in my memory as as the thing to remember yeah and that is a good one see i like season four because it has the more crusady music to it that's, that's the one i can't clearly remember so I'd, I'd have to go back and look at that one yeah it's uh i can't remember who does the narration for season four i probably should know that i think but... it's jakar isn't it because uh, who's a season five Again, I haven't watched in a long time. Five is kind of a compilation voice. Oh, yes, it's everybody. Right. right. Everybody. Oh, hold on. Now I just need to find it because I'm curious. And I want to make you all stay up for another two minutes. It's all right. I feel like it was Jakar. Uh, you may be right. Let's see. Hold on. I can do this. Uh, we're done with this. So I can reclaim this. Oh, wait. I think they had a few voices in that one, too, because I remember Lanier had something. Yeah, we're going to find out here in just one second because I got it pulled up. It was the year of fire. Yep, the year there. of destruction. The year we took back what was ours. It was the year of rebirth. The year of great sadness. The year of pain. And the year of joy. It was a new age. It was the end of history. It was the year everything changed. The year is 2261. The place... Babylon 5. All right, so that's... I like the music in that one. That's that's the only thing that popped... The reason why I like that one so much is when the music pops in and it's just like a... It's a yeah. march. Yeah. So until next week when we reveal some revelations, I'm Scott and with me has been... Kevin. Mike. And Blake. And we'll see you next week. Thank you. Like, subscribe, review. It was an early Earth president, Abraham Lincoln best described our situation. The dogmas of the quiet past are inadequate to the stormy present. The occasion is piled high with difficulty and we must rise to the occasion. We cannot escape history. We will be remembered in spite of ourselves. 
the fiery trial through which we pass will light us down in honor or dishonor to the last generation. We shall nobly save or meanly lose.